Hey, everybody. Are you with me when I say life can be amazing at times, but it can also be extremely challenging? I know. I've been there myself. Learned some valuable life lessons along the way, and now I'm here to help you. It's no coincidence you've found your way to the Relevate podcast. I'm your host, Rena Olson, a self-proclaimed inspirer of others. Together, we're going to dive deep into raw and honest conversations with real people. My hope is that through these stories, you too will be inspired and ready to tackle whatever's holding you back or breaking your heart. Then you'll be free to live a life of purpose and true fulfillment. I promise it's possible. Let's Relevate. Hey friends, it's Rena Olson here with another Relevate Conversation, this time on a very difficult subject with a very special woman. That's when I realized I had lost hope because the last few years, a complete freaking roller coaster. And you lose emotion because you, you're tired of worrying and you're tired of crying and you're tired of stressing and tired of waiting for the phone to ring. That is my friend Amy Black Durham, one of the bubbliest people I have ever met. How she laughs through the tears is beyond me. See, Amy refers to herself as a warrior mom. In her situation, a warrior mom is a bereaved parent who has lost a child. In Amy's case, it was her son, Alec gone from this world as a result of complications caused by addiction. She is here today to share her and Alex's story. Amy Black Durham, welcome to the Relevate Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh. What a blessing to have you here in person. It's my first real life face-to-face interview since this whole corona thing hit and um, I think it's no coincidence that you are the one sitting across from me thank here you. to share your and Alex's story. So thank you so much thank for you. for being here. And I know it's not an easy conversation for you to have. And just really thank you for trusting me to help carry the story of your amazing son, Alec, and your beautiful family. And I just know that your story is going to touch a lot of lives in a very positive way. Thank you. Okay, my dear. Okay. Here you go, my friend. I didn't think I would cry this early on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, are, we are both armed with tissues because this is going to be... We are. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be exactly what God wants us to say. I know. And you're so amazing because you smile through the tears. Oh, I do. Which is I don't I don't know how you how you do that, but what a gift that is to um, to be able to do to do both. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Okay. So I would love to know a little bit about you, Amy. <laughs> how do you describe? <laughs> How do you describe yourself? You know, that's always the trickiest question. You're like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty amazing. It's what, you know, it's what you want to say, but no, I'm just kidding. I'm a mom. Yeah. I am. I mean, I've been a mom more of my life than not. Mm-hmm. Um, and you started pretty young, didn't I did, you? I did. I had Alec when I was 18. Whoa. 
So like I said, I've been a mom. I don't know how not to be a mom. Yeah. I don't know how to be a great mom sometimes, but well, I, we all do what we can do, right? being human. Yes. Yeah, so, but I am, I'm quirky and I'm creative and I'm fun and I'm loud and, you know, so <laughs> it's just, I don't know. I'm a doer. Mm-hmm. I'm a dreamer. And, and you're a decorator by trade. I right? am. Designer? I am a designer, an interior designer, but, um, you know, it just, I am. Yeah. I and you so. and your husband are in business together, Yes. Right? That's very cool. Yes, it is so cool. And I couldn't imagine a better business partner and a better partner in life. And, you know, mm-hmm. God has a wicked sense of humor sometimes. Putting two people that, people that know us and have known us for a long time would never put us together. Isn't that the way it always yes. is? Yes. I thought I was going to marry a suit-wearing stockbroker. That's what I was looking for. And um, God gave all? me a construction worker that um, doesn't even own a suit. But you know what? <laughs> he is my heart and my soul. So, oh, And he has awesome. been with me through so much, good and bad. Yeah. Good and bad. So, And he took it on with a stride. So. Oh, my gosh. That's so cool. And tell me about your kids. Well, we have Alec, and we'll talk about him mm-hmm. more later. Um, he was my first. And then when Jeff and I married, gosh, it's almost been 14 years ago. Wow. Uh, Chase is my stepson. He is 19. Um, he's his first year in college. And then we have what we call our princess, who mm-hmm. is an eight-year-old little girl. So we had his and hers and ours. Um, and she is a princess. And she is, like I said, she is God's gift to me mm. because she has gotten me through with her positive energy and her joy and her love of Jesus and her love of life and her love of people and family and stuff like that. She is, I say, she is what gets me out of bed every day because she won't let me lay in the bed. (laughs) Number one. And I know that I need to set an example for her of we can't overcome anything Mm -hmm. and we can't, you know, we're going to be, we're going to get through this and we're going to be better for it. And her name is Layla. Layla. Yes. Layla, what's her middle name? Layla Jane. Layla Jane Durham. She's sweet, and she is full of life. Mm. He put her in our lives eight years ago. Wow. Okay, so let's let's just uh, get right to it, and tell me about that boy, Alec, of yours. (laughs) He is... What a mess. He is a mess. He is a mess and always has been and always will be. (laughs) What a sparkle that kid has in his eyes. He, you know what? And he's always been, um, I remember, so his name is Alec, A-L-E-C. And people would call him Alex because when he was born, it was a very popular name. And he would correct them. Oh, yeah. Even at a young age. It's Alec. Uh. And so he would always correct them. But I remember, um. I had him, you know, of course, as a new mom, you're so proud of your name. You know, you were, you've worked really hard thinking about this name or whatever. So we go to the pediatrician for that first initial checkup. So I guess he was maybe six or seven days old or whatever. And the pediatrician walks in and he goes, hey, we got a smart aleck here. Oh. And yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the emotionals, <laughs> this mom, this new mom, I changed pediatricians. I was like, he is smart aleck. You don't know. He is not a smart aleck. Let me tell you, that child lived up to his name for years and years and years. Oh but yes, I changed gosh. pediatricians because I, I was like, <laughs> I'm not having this. How dare you say that about How my dare, baby? Exactly. <laughs> you know, so. so many times, like we still talk about Alec and my sweet Layla. One of the reasons is she will always make sure that I keep Alec's memory alive because every night she asks me for an Alec story. 
So I relive Alec every day with her. And of course, I relive him in my mind. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's not a day that doesn't go by that you don't. I probably think about him more now Mm -hmm. than I did when he was with us. And so I always come up with the funny stories. And I realize going through these stories about how just much of a smart Alec he really was. Because those are her favorite stories, of course, when he was a little spunky three-year-old or eight-year-old or whatever like that. So... Well, and someone shared with me a story about he called his teacher. He uh, did, he never mixed his words. Mm-hmm. He would you, even as a very even young as child. an adult, as a young child, as an adult, he spoke his mind. There was, mm-hmm. and that is something I guess he gets from me too. There's not, there's no filter. There's not that what is on his mind is coming out. Yeah, whether it needs to or not. So yeah, he was in kindergarten, and I was looking through some stuff, and he got written home because he called a teacher a doo doo head. <laughs> He, that was kindergarten. Five and then, years old. Yes, five years old. He called her a doo-doo head, and, of course, he got in trouble, and, you know, and then, gosh, second grade. He had the best second grade teacher. Um, she loved him, and um, but I got called in for a conference. I, I knew Alex's teachers every year very well. Let's just say that. And it's not that he was bad. Mm-hmm. He was just blunt. Very, very much energy. <laughs> We'll mm-hmm. say that. Very blunt, very outspoken, just, you yeah. know. So, yeah, I got to know Alex's teachers very well. And the ones that, and I, and I commend teachers that do this, that truly see the kids for who they are and embrace them for who they are and love them where they are. Exactly. And he was very blessed, especially in those early years, to have those. But his second grade teacher, um, he looked at her one time, and I'm sure she was saying, Alec, you know, do something and probably told him more than once and he looked down and he goes yeah yeah keep your shirt on <gasps> you know and we laugh but I, I mean you shouldn't laugh but it's, how can you so, not yeah how can you not you know so oh. he was always um always until the day he passed the one for those quirky comments that you just come out of left field mm-hmm. so that is definitely something that um so did he struggle in school at all? He, he did. He did. He, um, we realized finally in the sixth grade that he had learning disabilities. He was dyslexic, ADHD, and dysgraphic. So, which, It took that long to find that out. It, it like, did. Mm. Well, number one, because I was clueless. Right. And, and you know, I didn't know anything about yeah. it. And he was probably masking it well. He did, because he was so intelligent. Exactly. He was beyond intelligent. Mm-hmm. But, and, and he, like you said, he masked it well through mm-hmm. the younger years. And, um, and it was finally when he got into sixth grade, that middle school time, he was failing every class. Because it, expectations are different in middle school. Yeah. And the learning styles and the teaching styles mm-hmm. and everything change a lot. So, um, so yes, he masked it. He was able to overcome it, but I think he was tired yeah. by the time, you know, he was tired of trying to overcome so yeah. much. And so did he, is that when he started dabbling with substances, do no, you think? I don't think so. I think that not in middle school. We didn't notice it until he was about 16, so it was high school. He might have done it as early as eighth grade, mm-hmm. maybe, but I don't. I don't think so. We discovered it when he was 16 and in high school. Wow. 
was our first first inkling of yes I'm doing that so what did what did that look like hell so was he did you find something in his room or did you did he get busted or and you don't have to share yeah no 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 I just didn't know I just help it you know for parents who suspect something's going on with their kid what you know just what does that kind of look like what does that look like and this is something that as parents of teenagers it's almost like because we've all been teenagers and we all know so many teenagers and all that you kind of like okay they're going to experiment you kind of think you it's almost like you expect it you don't want them to but you do think okay and it was when you suspect it and it happens and you catch them or whatever like that, it was the harder part for me to determine we have a problem. And that was still, that was in high school as well when I finally determined, okay, we have a problem. But I remember my daughter Layla was three weeks old. Oh, my gosh. And mm-hmm. he had a friend over to spend mm-hmm. the night, mm-hmm. and I caught them smoking pot. In, in your house? It, yeah. He uh, mm-hmm. had the, you know, he did it in his bedroom. He had the towel under his door. I mean, like, he kind of knew what to do. So who knows how many times he had done it before that. Mm -hmm. But like I said, he was 16 when she was born, um, almost 17. So, and that's where I suspect it was probably happening. You know, you don't catch them the first time they do it. No. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, and that's just kind of where, like I said, okay, that's kind of what we took it as. Okay, teenagers, they're not the smartest people on the earth. Mm -hmm. Some of them are undeveloped. They're undeveloped, exactly, load. and they're gonna they're gonna do stupid things, mm-hmm. and we love them through it. Yeah, and that's where you know, and so that's so he was a sophomore in high school when that happened, and then his junior year is when I think it just escalated really fast. Yeah, and it was when we would find him drinking in his room alone or passed out on the floor. Mm-hmm. in his room and I'm like why are you sleeping on your floor and he really like, well I just got tired and went to sleep on my floor it all kind of runs together after a while the yeah. ages and the times and all that kind of stuff but like I said I feel like it escalated very fast and that's when we accepted the fact of or kind of acknowledged okay this is more than just teenage experimenting experimenting I think we have a problem yeah. and Yes, I think that, I don't know the right words here, but it escalated. Like I said, it escalated very fast. Trying to mask the, I don't fit in. Yeah. Trying to, you know, school, I don't even care anymore. So hard for some kids. So hard, yes. And especially when, you know, and he had every opportunity to succeed. Yeah. Like he had teachers on his side. Mm -hmm. But it is. It's hard. Yeah. It's, it's hard to be put into an environment where you're expected to be one way, but you can't be. Sometimes you just, you can't put a square peg in a round hole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, but I don't know what else. Yeah. You know? But the nonconformists are always the world changers. <laughs> yes. You know, and it's, but, but a lot of them just don't fit in in mainstream. And when you're in public school, it's... It's mainstream. Yes, in a big public school. Yeah. A very big public school. And that's where, um, like I said, the schools did. I bl- I do not blame them. I do not. There's mm-hmm. no blame on right. any of that. Right. It's just, but like you said, they don't, he did not conform. Yes. 
you told him to do this. He was going to do a version of it, but he was going to do it in his way, which, you know, was just. Were, so it seems like he was really a family guy. Oh, gosh. I mean, was he, was he difficult to be around during that time, or was he, was he kind of your, your buddy through it all? Because I just get the feeling that y'all just had such a special relationship. We did have a special relationship. Um, and he, yes, he loved family and stuff like that. But he did. He, was, he, he would mm-hmm. hang out in his room all the time. Yeah. He would, um, I don't want to say avoid us, mm-hmm. but there again. He, he didn't want to expose what, what was going on. He didn't want to expose himself. Yeah. He didn't want to, um, but there again, like I said, with teenagers, they that's what they do. They want that they're trying to find their independence. They're trying to find their own mark in the world. Yeah. And it just all of the decisions that we made throughout the years with you know, learning disabilities and counseling appointments and just tutoring sessions and, you know, trying, trying, trying. Yeah. Um he was receptive in the middle school years, for sure. Um, but like I say, getting into high school where they're trying to find their own independence and assert their own voice. Yeah. It was more of a, I don't want to say it was a rebellion, but, I mean, that's the best word for it, mm-hmm. was kind of, you know, well, this is my life, I'm going to do with it what I want type. At what point did you start fearing for his life? You know, as a mom, you worry. And I did. I worried. I never worried when he was little. I always said about 8 to 10 years old is kind of when that personality changed a little bit. Yeah. Um, turned from that little boy, from the, you know, the kid, mm-hmm. to, from a little boy to a kid. Yeah. Um, and then middle school was when I, I hurt for him. Yeah. Finding friendships and finding the right way and figuring out where he belongs in this world. And because I think middle school, I think I remember searching for that. Oh, yeah. In middle school, you know, and I think that, and I hurt for him to find his way and just to fit in and, or know where he fit mm-hmm. and whatever that would. Um, that's when he started skateboarding and he was so good. That's what I hear he was. He was amazing. So about seventh grade, I can't remember if it was sixth grade Christmas or seventh grade Christmas. That's got to be nerve wracking as a mom to have a skateboarder. As a yes, <laughs> but I never saw him work so hard at something. The dedication that he had for skateboarding and landing the tricks. And I mean, and there's a video back when, and we laughed at it with one of his cousins about, he would do an ollie. He was learning to do an ollie. And he didn't even get like an inch off the ground. He was like, yes. Like, <laughs> I mean, but the dedication that he had to that, mm-hmm. it was, it was great to watch. And he would go out in the street and just do it for days and days. I mean, hours and hours. He would sweat and stink like teenage <laughs> boys do. And then in high school, he got a longboard. Uh. And that was more nerve-wracking than the skateboarding because he would go down big hills. Did you tell me he would go down Freemanville? Freemanville oh, no. Road, yes. Oh which anybody that knows uh, Milton, yeah. <laughs> Freemanville is not, it is a very hilly, curvy road. Yes. And it was his favorite. It was his favorite. And, of course, I would tell him not to do it. And, yeah. And, of course... And I'm sure there was no helmet, no. No, 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 no. At that point, you know, when you're 16, 17 years old, you're invincible. And I think that you think that nothing's going to get me. Yeah. Yeah. He was free. He was was free free. on that thing. And that's so funny because he was scared of roller coasters. 
He's scared of roller coasters, but yet he would go down Freemanville Road with no helmet. And as he would say it, because we would laugh at him. And I mean, even as an adult, because at our house now, he was going down a hill. And I remember hearing him come down and he was just dying laughing. And he goes, whoa, I mean, just giggling at himself. And he was like, that was awesome. I got the wiggles. and But but he, I saved myself, and I just kept going. And again, no. I mean, it, he was probably 23 at the time. No helmet, nothing. No. And, you know, I don't condone it. You should wear helmets. His mother did not allow it, you know. But I would have people call and go, um, Amy, I saw Alec. Um, and I was like, okay. I mean, you know, at some point, you know, I'm – I know I'm going to get a lot of backlash for saying this, but at some point you lose control of your children. Right. You do. And it's not because you're a bad mom right. or you're a bad person or that they're a bad person, or but you lose control mm-hmm. of your children yeah. because they're making the decisions for themselves. Yeah. And that's a prime example. Yeah. Well, and especially those kids that are very strong-willed, which... You know, so that probably for you happened way early. Yes. Yes. Oh. I remember. Yeah, I remember. I, there's so many times. Yes. It's kind of like one of the, and that's where you're kind of like, gosh, okay, I need to tell him not to do that. But I know he's going to do it. Yeah. So what, at what, what do I do? Yeah. You know, like wear a helmet when you skateboard. Okay, mom. So he'll wear it down the street. And you know he took it off as soon as he got out of my, my, he probably threw it in a bush somewhere and kept going. You know, but I think that as parents, you have to teach your children right from wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's where you have to lean on God and pray. Oh my gosh. Isn't that the truth? Yes. That he will see them through. Let's talk about getting him help and Mm -hmm. what that looked like. Okay. His, so yes, he was an addict. He was an alcoholic, and I'll tell you, it's weird, because I, um, I could say Alec was an alcoholic for a long time, mm-hmm. but it took me a while to say, my son's an addict, and I think it has to do with the stigmatism associated with addiction, right. and, you know, you were raised knowing alcoholics, or at least I was raised knowing alcoholics. You know, I'm in my 40s. I'm not going to tell you my exact age, but I'm in my <laughs> 40s here, Um but I was raised knowing about alcoholics, but not addicts was a whole, that was a whole different level. Yes. Drugs were just totally different than right. alcohol. Mm-hmm. And maybe that was, like I said, the stigma involved. Um, maybe. I don't know. But so I finally said, I remember finally saying, and I remember the friend I was telling, I was like, Alex, an addict. And it like took my breath away. Mm-hmm. And I told her, I said, that's the first time I've ever said that out loud. And she's like, why? And I was like, I don't know. And so after years of thinking and stuff like that, that, that has to be it. It's the stigma that I had placed on an addict versus an alcoholic. Yeah. So, but alcohol was his number one. Yeah. And that's where he always went to. That's what got him in trouble the first time mm-hmm. and got him in trouble the last time. Mm-hmm. And that was always his go-to. And, but then once you start going out and, I, okay, and I'm going to clarify, I am not an addict. I'm not an, I'm not, I don't have an, I have, I'm OCD. I have a lot of other, <laughs> I have my own issues, but I'm not an, I don't have an addicted addiction bone in my body. Yeah. Um, so I can't speak from an addict, but I can speak from 
the mom of an addict and what I saw and what I perceived. Right. So when I say this is how addicts think, know that it's from a mom's version and what I saw. Through your Through my lenses, yes, that evolved over the years. Mm -hmm. I forgot. You can remind me what I was just saying. Yeah. So, no, we're talking about what help for Alec look like. Yes, 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 yes. So, like I said, alcoholism, alcohol was his biggest thing. He was 18 the first time that he, we put him in treatment. And it was a six-week treatment. And then he went and lived in a sober living facility for, I guess, probably six or eight months after that. Mm -hmm. And it was great. He was great. He worked the program, he, you know, which is part of living in these sober living facilities. You have to do that. You are surrounded by, he lived with five guys. He had good friendships there, good guys that just, they supported each other. Um, And then he decided, well, we decided, I shouldn't say he decided, but he was ready to leave that. He thought he was ready to leave and he moved back home. And which was still good for a while. Mm-hmm. So, yes, we have a renovation company, and he came and worked for us, working, and he mm-hmm. was a hard worker. Oh, yeah. He was a hard worker. So, like I said, he... And, and I he, heard he was very skilled. Very skilled. He had his thought process, his brain. You know, you talk about, okay, he, could, he had issues with reading and writing. Mm-hmm. However, his brain could put together a puzzle or a whatever, just like create something. He could look at a ping pong table and put it together without even looking at the directions mm-hmm. in no time flat. Legos. He put Legos together in no time flat. I remember when he was like 10 years old, eight, nine, 10 years old, and he would get a reward or something. And we would buy the big Lego sets, <laughs> the big ones. Yeah. And it would be a Friday afternoon after school or after I got off work and we would go get it and because that was the reward for whatever. And he would stay up till two o'clock on Friday morning to put it all together. And I'm like, Alec, we have to go to bed. We have to go to bed. But I mean, he, he couldn't stop. He couldn't stop. And this is like the hundred dollar mm-hmm. one. Like, I don't even know how many pieces it is. It's not the like $20 one. Yeah. It's the, the big bag. ones. <laughs> yes. And he would put the whole Death Star together before he went to bed on Friday night. So oh. that way he could just play with it. And the, the Millennial Falcon, I mean, he had them all. So mm-hmm. I shouldn't say all of them, but he had quite a few, which are still in my basement because... Yeah. We don't get rid of things like that, right? No. Um, so, have, you wonder where Alec got his ADD from. <laughs> so, okay, so he went to treatment? Went to he treatment. went to treatment, yes. And then he came to work for us. He, came, he moved in at home. He came oh. to work for us. And that was some of Layla's favorite times with Alec because, you know, Jeff and I both working and stuff like that. And I would say, Alec, do you want to take Layla to preschool in the morning? And, they, and he would be like, yes. So he would take her to preschool. And she would always say, I want Alec to take me tomorrow. Oh. So Alec would take her. I mean, and he was the proud big brother. He loved her. They had a connection. And like I said, and he, she loved him. It's so sweet. It, because usually that big of a, a gap between an 16, older cool yes. boy and his little sister. I mean, he could have really been like, no. Yeah, I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. And no, he took her in, and he loved her. He loved her. He loved her. That probably lasted about nine months. And somewhere between six and nine months. 
And I remember he, he slipped up at one point during that time, but he came to us and he's like, I'm so sorry. Like I've been drinking again, you know, just remorseful. Right. And from what I understand, it, people always say, and I always thought it was so cliche about, well, you know, relapses are part of the process and they really are. Yeah. Because another addict has said to me that it, in explanation to that, when I would be like, but he slipped up. And they were like, but you think you're better. Mm-hmm. And I think that he, th- you know, or, mm-hmm. okay, yeah. I want to be normal again. Right. And so. I can do this just this one time. Exactly. And, mm-hmm. and then it just starts You know, and so, but like I said, during that time, he came to us and was remorseful and was like, I'm getting it back together. And he did. Yeah. Because that was probably after he moved back in with us, maybe a month or two. Was he working like a program? Was he going to? Yes, he was going to AA. He found one that he loved. He had a sponsor and all that. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. And then he got more involved after he slipped up. Like I said, it was probably a month or two, maybe three. I can't, like I said, the timelines kind of, but came back and was, um, like I said, and then he was good for like six more months after that. So, and that wasn't the only time that happened over the course of years. Right. He would slip up. He would catch himself before it got too deep or too big. And to me, that's huge. Mm-hmm. And like I said, as, as addicts have told me, it's part of the process because it's not as enjoyable. And then you realize, yeah, oh, crap. This isn't where I want to do. This isn't what I want to be. This isn't, I don't want to go down this road again. So how did he end up at No Longer Bound? Um, After he traveled the United States and other recovery centers. (laughs) Did the tour, huh? He did a tour of the United States. You know, at least I have humor, right? Like you said, I smiled. So how many centers did? Eight. No Longer Bound was number eight. Oh, my gosh, I did not know that. Yes, No Longer Bound was number eight for us. And like I said, some of those were, none of those were a year long. Some of them were six weeks, eight Mm -hmm. weeks, four weeks, Mm -hmm. two months, three months. And then he would go to live in, like, sober living facilities after that. And I think he did three or four different sober living facilities. But Alec always knew that No Longer Bound was on the table for him. I'd heard about it a long time ago. And we raised Alec going to North Point. But there again, you can't control your children's thoughts and actions and stuff like that. He was against everything No Longer Bound was for. Jesus, uh, no girls, um, (laughs) no cigarettes, you know? And he was like, I can't. And then you want me to work for somebody and not make any money. Right. You know? And a year? And a whole year of my life. You want me to give up a whole year of my life without girls, without cigarettes. But I... My husband and I, we believed in it. Alec always knew that it was on the table. He had a major living in his addiction, I guess, um, probably a year before that. And the whole goal, because I know that you have to be of right mind when you go into No Longer Bound. They're not a detox facility. And, you know, at the time that Alec was there, this was the way it was. It had to be conscious. It was a time that had to go. So he hit a really bad spot, hit a really bad spot in January. So we got him into a like a distress. It was a distress. We had to get him somewhere. So we sent him to a place for 30 days, which was a good place, a great place. The goal was for him to go there. And then the next step was to go to No Longer Bound. 
he decided that he was good. 30 days, I'm good. I've got a recovery network up here, all that kind of stuff. Um, and he came home to visit in August, and he was good. He, he was good-ish. Yeah. Um, but as a mom, you can always sense something. Yeah. You can always sense it. I would just feel sometimes when he's getting off track. Mm-hmm. And he might not be derailed completely, mm-hmm. but you can feel when that track gets loose. Well, I told him at that when he was there in probably early August. I can't remember exactly, but August sometime. And I said, just remember, no longer bound is always on the table for you if you're ready for a real change. When you're ready to make a real difference in your life, and it's there. I'll pay for it, but you have to make the first step. I'm not doing anything else, but you have to make the calls. You know it's a process to get in, and you have to do it. And mid-September, he called me and said, Mom, I called No Longer Bound yesterday. I have a 10 o'clock interview or whatever. I can't remember all the details, but, and I'm going to start the process. Are you and Jeff still willing? And I said, 100%. So my mom's birthday, which was September the 25th, we checked Alec in. We sat in the admissions room and got Alec into No Longer Bound. And I I don't say we, Mm because it wasn't me. We prayed. My whole small group prayed. Multiple small groups have prayed for him mm-hmm. over the years yeah. because the years from that 18 years old to that, mm-hmm. it was six years from that point. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot of praying. And we didn't get to see him. You have to go through a period of time where I think it's two months mm-hmm. without family visits and all that kind of stuff. Don't tell anybody, but we snuck a visit. You did? We did. At church. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell anybody. But he had been there about four or five weeks Mm -hmm. because they go to church there. We we always went to the same time, and and we saw him. And I remember I hugged his neck, and I couldn't stop hugging him. And he laughed at me like (laughs) I was a bubbling idiot. But he just felt so good. He used to be this frail little, mm-hmm. um, he was just frail and worn out. Yeah. He had muscles back in his arms. Mm-hmm. And he had his hug that he had always given me. Mm-hmm. So after five weeks of him being there and our snuck visit of like three minutes and 45 hugs in those three minutes, <laughs> he, um, I was good. Yeah. I was like, this is good. Yeah. And I did. I cried a little bit of joy. Yeah. And then, but we didn't get our real visit until Christmas Day that year. So mm-hmm. we went from September to um, Christmas Day. And there again, it was a good day. Yeah. It was just good. And I remember sitting um, in a family recovery meeting during um, the course of his time there. We come on Sundays and do all of that. And I remember sitting there and thinking to myself, I had lost hope that I would have my boy back. Yeah. Because, and it scared me a little bit, because I was sitting in that meeting and I felt a little bit of hope. Yeah. And that little bit of hope that I had, it scared me because I, that's when I realized I had lost hope. Mm-hmm. Because the last few years before 
him going into No Longer Bound had been so just a complete freaking roller coaster. And you lose emotion Mm -hmm. because you you're tired of worrying and you're tired of crying. And you're tired of stressing and tired of waiting for the phone to ring. Because that's the life of a mom of an addict. I just can't imagine. I'm so sorry. And he didn't know he was putting you through that. I've just, I I believe that he loved you too much. They don't do it on purpose. Yeah. It was not intentional. Yeah. But... That addiction and that image of self-worth that they get when they're in their addiction is just not even. And he would avoid me, and he would say, Mom, you you don't have to worry about me anymore. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, but you don't understand. You think that you can just go away and do whatever you want to do. And I'm just like, today I'm just going to stop loving you. Your blood, we share the same blood in our veins. It doesn't work that way, son. It does not work that way. And that's what it, I would tell him time and time again, because that's what he would say. He's like, just don't worry about me anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but it, like you said, it does not work that way. Yeah. I'm not a person in recovery, but, you know, my heart, being at No Longer Bound, my heart just breaks for parents and families. I mean, we've, we are, we've been in a pandemic as a result of addiction in this country for years. And unless, you know, it's come knocking at your door, you don't really realize it. I mean, it's like 70,000 people a year, each year, die of addiction. And then, you know, that number is exponentially greater because of accidental deaths or suicide that, you know, it's just, um, there's just so much of it out there. So I just... I'm so thankful that we're talking about it more because we need to destigmatize it mm-hmm. and people need to pay attention and understand and be there whether you know god forbid that it happens in your house or is happening to your neighbors or someone you love you know we need to be there for each other mm-hmm. not that we can fix it but just you know, just loving each other through it because it's it can be a lonely walk. I know that because people don't know what to do or say, so they say they do nothing and they say nothing, and that just makes it worse. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, I'm gonna yes, you have nailed it on the head. We don't say anything; we turn our head because not my child. Right. I used to have a girlfriend years ago. We raised our boys together when they were little, and we would always laugh about not my child. And she's like, I was always the one that was like, he did it. I know it was mine. <laughs> you know, she's like, I'm the first one to say, I know it was my child. But it, we, we have the not my child syndrome yeah. as parents because we don't want it to be our child. Yeah. We don't want it to be. We don't want it to be um, because there is so much stigma involved. But I'll be the first to admit that God gave me everything that I was afraid of. Mm-hmm. I was afraid of addicts. Mm -hmm. I was afraid of punksters that skateboarders in the parks, you know, (laughs) I was afraid of those. It was, I laugh because, you know, so Alec is this eccentric 
skateboarder who has the biggest heart and the best manners of anybody. Mm. I would put him next to anybody mm. to challenge that. Um, my stepson, the sweetest kid, and he's an athlete. He plays baseball, always did great, you know, stellar athlete. His friends were the ones that I would be like, oh, come on, you know, yeah. let's, you know, they're the, the picture-perfect all-American kids, good kids. Alex's friends were the eccentric, you know, <laughs> like t-shirt, tattoos, yeah. earrings, all that. But let me tell you, out of those kids, it was Alex's friends that came over and were, hey, Miss Durham, yes, Miss Durham, the most polite kids. Chase's yeah. friends were, were yeah. but you expect that out of them. Yeah, You expected the punky kids to come in and raid your refrigerator and just yeah. walk through and not even speak and, you know, do whatever. At least that was my judgmental mm-hmm. perception. Mm-hmm. And God gave me the exact thing that I was afraid of. I was afraid of addicts. I was afraid of people who did drugs. On so many different levels, it scared me. He gave me everything I was afraid of. I was afraid of addiction. And guess what? He put one in my house that I loved more than anything. Mm-hmm. Who I would have gone to the ends of the earth for. And you did. Yes. You in did. his addiction. Mm-hmm. In his addiction. And now I'm, I don't look at addict. I look at addicts. And I look at addiction. And I look at the punky teenagers. And I look at the good teenagers. The, the All-Americans. I, I look at all of them. Mm-hmm exactly the same. Well, it was eye-opening for me to be at No Longer Bound. And, you know, what I found, you know, meeting these people, these men who were severe addicts in recovery, I found some of the most charismatic, some of the most smart, some of the most creative, some of the most talented, great-looking guys, great manners. I was like, what? You know, it was just my perception was completely wrong. It was skewed. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where they say that addiction does not pick a race, Mm -mm. a gender, Mm -mm. an income bracket. It doesn't. I mean, we personally know, my husband and I personally know many Mm -hmm. older than us, younger than us. I mean, through Alec, not through Alec. And how many people hide it for how many years? until it finally catches up with them and their families. And it is, it's because the shame involved in no one, you know, when you say and it's, that's fear, you know, it's, yes. it's fear too. Fear is, well, I know when, you know, because here I had Layla who was a precious preschooler with a perfect little bow in her hair and mm-hmm. curls and ruffle pants. I mean, she was so stinking cute. And so I had this cute little perfect preschooler and I drove my minivan and, then I had an addict. So I was living two lives yeah. during those early years. Well, until, I don't want to say recently, but mm-hmm. until, you know, for several years, I lived two lives, it seemed like. Yeah. So let's talk about when Alec completed his, his mm-hmm. program at No Longer Bound and was he was out, he was doing well. He was great. Oh, yeah. my gosh. And, he, and, and y'all have a cool tradition at your house where... Spaghetti, spaghetti yes, dinners, and we he'd do. be there. Thursday night, spaghetti night. Mm-hmm. Every Thursday night, it was spaghetti nights. My husband did it when he was a kid. I mean, 
his mom cooked spaghetti every Thursday night. So when we got married, we continued. I love that. Yes. The boys got very tired of spaghetti, so we would change it up. But just so they came on Thursday nights. And Alec came every Thursday night. And we ate and talked and laughed. And, you know, sometimes it was eventful. And sometimes it was just, yeah. hey, thanks for dinner, Mom. Yeah. You know? But we were together. And when the kids get older and they move out and they're living their own lives, mm -hmm. you have to be intentional yes. with those moments. Mm -hmm. And you never see them, especially the guys. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was living his life. He was living a good life. Mm -hmm. He had moved out of, he had finished up at No Longer Bam, was going through the transition program, got a job that he absolutely loved. Mm -hmm. He was working for a um, local cabinet company. Spraying cabinets, which was a trade that he actually, he worked in the furniture shop at No Longer Bound um, and learned from his good friend, Mike Cannon. It was a legacy thing, oh, yeah. you know, the legacy <laughs> of moving down, of passing down the cabinet painting. Um, but, you know, No Longer Bound made great products and it, it just, he learned it. He moved on. He worked a job that he loved doing something that he loved. He was proud of it. Yeah. He took proud of, pride in it. He would send me pictures like what we did today, like oh, this install. Um, and I think he was valued there. As parents, too, when your kids grow up, you hope they're financially stable. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, that's one goal you have for them. Mm -hmm. And he was. And he would, he had a bank account. And he had money in his bank account. And a truck. And a, a truck. truck. He bought his, his truck by himself mm -hmm. with his, you know, he had his money. He bought himself a truck. He had just purchased um, a guitar. It was like a $1,000 guitar, a bass guitar that he had wanted, and he still had money in his bank account. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, to me as a mom, like, that makes me proud. Totally. All of his bills were paid, and that is not something that he could have said mm -hmm. too many times yeah. because, and I think one of the reasons that it makes me so proud, number one, because he saw the value in saving money. But number two was because he was sober and he was conscious of that money because when he was in his addictions, he was always like, um, can I borrow like $50? I want to buy you. Yeah. I want to buy you Chick-fil-A today, mom. I'm on the way over. I'm going to stop and get you some lunch and I'll try to pay him back. He's like, I got it. So I had pride in that. He was doing good. He was making strides for his life. He was living on his own in a, in a house with roommates yeah. that also graduated from No Longer Bound. They were doing good. Yeah. Until one day he wasn't. Did that mother's intuition kick in? Did you kind of fear something might be going on, or was it just kind of out of the blue? It came out of the blue. I'll be honest with you, this one, it, it came out of the blue. Yeah. And I think that's what was so hard and disheartening mm -hmm. um, because he was at our house on Thursday night for the typical dinner. The, um, mm -hmm. Not typical. It's yeah. not typical, but the traditional. Um, our traditional dinner, Thursday night, Alec was there, Chase was there, Layla was there, Jeff was there. I cannot tell you what we ate, but we ate. And the boys kind of left early. Alec's like, Mom, I'm going to get out of here. And I remember standing at the exact spot in my kitchen, and I still feel that hug of, I love you. Love you, too. All right. Have a good day tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And that was it, that Thursday night. There again, thankful we had that tradition. Yeah. So he, um, he went missing for 
Nine days. Nine days. So you they found his truck. He was Saturday morning. He was helping, and I always classify people as good guys and bad guys. I'm sure all moms do that, right? Yeah. So he was um, he was helping some friends that were good guys painting a fence. Um, he left around lunchtime, and for some reason, and and we know all of these um, details because for nine days, I was a private investigator. It's kind of it's amazing what a mama can do, yes. <laughs> you know. Yeah. But thankfully, he still had the bank account that we set up before he was 18, so I was on that. Mm. Um, he's on our uh, cell phone account, so it wasn't too hard to be able to get access. Yeah, thankfully because mm-hmm. I was still a part of the accounts. Yeah, but yeah, we tracked and we saw that the last bank account, the last bank withdrawal was like at four something on a Saturday. On a Saturday, and then the last phone call that came through to his phone was at six oh three that Saturday. And after that, there was nothing else. So on Sunday morning, we filed a missing persons report. Mm-hmm. By Sunday night, that's when I got worried. Yeah. 24 hours, no contact, no response to a text message or a phone call. Multiple. Barry, who was Alex's dad, was calling. We were calling. It just, nothing. Mm-hmm. Friends that were calling that we had reached out to immediately when we decided he was missing. When there's no activity on a bank account or a phone, and the phone's not, it's going straight to voicemail, you know that there's, as a mom, you know that, and we talked to the police department, and I was like, it's just not right. It's just not right. Mm -hmm. There's something else. Well, you know, and they did their best. Yeah. So ultimately, it was an alcohol-related it accident. Was. It was. Right. It was. Yeah. Um, it was a complete accident. So it was basically what, like I said, we know all of this from the mm-hmm. private investigator research mom PI can do over the course of the time, all of the things. So he started drinking around noon that day. We know this from the bank account, liquor store, Mexican restaurant, mm-hmm. a bar, you know, just little by little mm-hmm. by little. And then he was in a neighborhood going, and it's what the neighborhood that was really small streets and stuff. He hit a mailbox. Mm-hmm. There was a 911 call, and he got out. He hit a car. Everybody was fine. When we went on our, we did missing person, we put flyers up, all of this. And I got multiple phone calls from the community, especially over there in the area that he, in Swanee where he was. I actually spoke to the lady that last saw him, mm-hmm. and she told me, so he got in an accident in the neighborhood that he was driving through. Like I said, it was a little fender He got out, made sure the lady that was in the car was okay. The lady came, she had heard the crash, came out of her house, and was like, are y'all okay? He's like, I just need to know that they are okay. And she was like, the lady was like, we're fine. Are you okay? He's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Everybody's like, we're fine. He's like, I just, she said, it, he said it more than once. I just need to know they're okay. Mm-hmm. And they were like, we're fine. And he was like, let's just, once she said, we need to call the cops. Like, we need, we need to file a report. He was like, okay, okay. And <laughs> apparently he reached in his car, and got something out. And she said, I thought he was just going to go off into the bathroom or something. And he never came back. And it's what had happened after nine days, we figured this out. 
He walked up through the, the woods. Oh, so he left the vehicle there. He left the vehicle there and went up into the woods. And there was a retaining pond, like a big neighborhood retaining pond. It's one of those neighborhoods, it's zero, you know. The, yeah. So it was a retaining pond back in there. And, but the police officer said there was, they saw where he was sitting on the bank. He had his journal there and an empty liquor bottle sitting on the bank. And it was obvious that he just passed out and fell in the water and then just never woke up. No evidence of foul play, no anything. So when people tell me nowadays they passed out drunk, Mm -hmm. it pisses me off Mm -hmm. because that's what he did. Did he hit his head at some point? I don't know. Yeah. Did he hit his head when he fell? I don't know. Yeah. Um, but it was just, just alcohol. So like I said, when somebody says, I passed out drunk and I don't know what happened. You know what? My son passed out drunk mm-hmm. and woke up in the arms of Jesus. Mm-hmm. But you know what brings me peace? He's in the arms of Jesus. Yeah. And he doesn't have any more depression yeah. or addiction. Struggle. Struggle. He's a happy. I would think that that was probably peaceful, you know? Yes. The fact that he was outside in nature and... Um, he was happy. Exactly. And he had, he had turned his life around. He did. And had restored his relationships with his his family and he had been estranged from his dad Mm. for a few years he found Jesus when he was at no longer bound and I'm so thankful forever thankful and that's Mm. had this happened two years ago I couldn't be at peace but he he was he and his dad were estranged for a little while um and while they were at no longer bound or while Alec was at No Longer Bound, he struggled with that relationship with his dad. He said, finally one day, he said, I gave it to God. Mm. I gave it to God. I'm letting God put it. The next day, his father, Barry, called No Longer Bound and asked if he could come and what he needed to do to be able to come and visit with Alec. And they began mending their relationship. And, And that's the power of your Jesus right there. And the fact that that relationship, I mean, it's just, yes, so many relationships were restored while it no longer bound. But it was because of the work that Alec put in. Absolutely. To overcome mm. his, his demons. Right. But it is a constant struggle. That's what I've learned. Mm-hmm. It's not a one and done. It's not a, oh, I finished that program. Check. No. You're never done. You're never done. It's just like working out. It's just like a diet. Just because you ate good yesterday does not mean that you're not going to gain weight with those donuts you eat today. (laughs) Uh, I just have more. I mean, I was at Alex's memorial service, and I just, it was so perfect for him. And I, I just was in awe at you. And your smile and your joy and how you handled yourself. 
And it was a wonderful celebration of his life. And just knowing him, I didn't know him well, but what do you think he would want his legacy? How would he want us to remember him? He would probably (laughs) hate this right now. He is hating every minute of it. He would want me to say that people are stupid. (laughs) Sorry, Alec. And that's something that I struggled with after, because we have started a foundation in his name. Yes. And I'm proud. Uh, That makes me so happy. I'm proud of that. And I struggled at the beginning, and I talked to some friends, and I was like, Alec was such an introvert. (laughs) And like I said, people are stupid. That's something that, (laughs) that would be all he said, you know? But... um, (laughs) He was such an introvert, and he didn't like to draw attention to himself. And, you know, he would rather just kind of blend in with the wallpaper. But I'm not that way. No. I am not that way. Um, (laughs) Watch me go, son. (laughs) I am a firm believer that God gives us stories. And he wants us to tell them. I'm a firm believer that God doesn't give us pain to sit back and cry. Mm-hmm. He allows us to cry and he allows us to feel and to do all of that. But if we cannot grow and allow others to grow, then there's it's not even... I'm a part of um, a group of women. They're called the Warrior, Warrior Moms. Moms. Yes. And we are all women that have lost a child one way or another. We all have different stories. We all have different, um, you know, boys, girls, different ages. We lost them, different reasons we lost them. But we meet once a month. And we understand each other without knowing each other. Mm -hmm. There's not many people that you know, thank God, that have dealt with child loss, um, but they understand it. And every one of us, the biggest thing that, um, I guess the biggest disservice we could do to our children is to forget about them. The biggest thing is for not, for it not to mean something. Because something this big and this painful and this hurtful and this awful, it's just, the only word that I have is just, it sucks. That's what it does, okay? For something to suck this bad, and not for a reason, there has to be a reason for this. And so we have started the Alec Davis Foundation. And the host of the, Alec, I say the host, <laughs> the person that um, organizes it all for me, he allows me to um, to love my boy and talk about my boy and and he knows that I want to, um, my goal is to pour into other addicts, yes. to help other men reclaim their lives back. Mm-hmm. To, because every addict has a mama, mm-hmm. good or bad, they have a mama. Yeah. They have a sister or a brother or a dad or a yeah. children. Mm-hmm. So many addicts have children. Yes. And they are good people. Mm-hmm. They have good in them. Evil demons have taken over their brain mm-hmm. and their body. Mm-hmm. The evil demon is yeah. 
the addict of you know their drug of choice but it it there are so many good people that addiction has claimed their life and their future i've seen it firsthand yeah again and again and again again and again and again and i know and as i said alec went through eight different treatment centers it was the aftercare where he struggled he was willing to go to treatment every time he stayed the whole time he got out what he needed he came out saying i'm good this time's going to be different and he lost he would lose track why his sobriety lasted longer after no longer browned was because he had that aftercare. Mm-hmm. Well, I call it aftercare, but it's it's people. Yeah, it's there people, you go. and it's community. Community. That. Thank you. Yes, community. it is community. Right. And he had a community, and it was. Um, I'm gonna give all the credit to Mark Lewington and the Tea and Cake oh. organization. They met last night. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. I might have talked to Mike Cannon. About yes, <laughs> and Mike. He is, loved your boy. Oh, he oh, did. His, he called him his little brother. He did. He did, and I love Mike. Speaking of Mike, so that's an awesome example of the Alec Davis Foundation at work. Yes, it is. So tell me the the gift you've given to Mike. Mike Cannon went through, he was Alec's older brother at No Longer Bound, and they were actually roommates after they left, and Mike poured into Alec, and Alec poured into Mike. Yeah. They, they truly were brothers, mm-hmm. and Mike has gone through yoga training on his own. He has a yoga instructor. He does, he's a jack-of-all-traits, I think. He is. He is, he is a jack-of-all-traits. He is so... Have you taken his class? No. <laughs> he is unbelievable. I've heard that this is his calling. Uh, he is. Um, Trish told me, he, he, this is it. Yeah. This is it. Yeah. yeah. This is what he, this is his calling. Yeah. So, but he has, and I'm, you're going to have to help me with the wording because I'm not sure exactly. Yeah, keep talking because he sent it to me because I wanted to get it exactly right. Okay. The Alec Davis Foundation sponsored him to do additional yoga training for the 12-step recovery. Mm-hmm. There is a specialized program. It's called Y12SR for the yoga of 12-step recovery. Yes. Specific training, especially for that, to help people in recovery. Yes. And the foundation is, the, is paying for that training. The foundation sponsor, paid for that training for him to be able to be able to pour back in into people in recovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, the foundation also has sponsored someone, helped match the money that his counselor mm-hmm. certification. Mm-hmm. And um, the Alec Davis Foundation helped match the amount that he raised to be able to go back. Because we know people that work in recovery, they're not in it for the money. No. They are in it because they love it. Right. And most of the time because they've been through it. Mm-hmm. And with God giving people stories they are the best ones with the oh, best yeah. stories to be able to pour back into those that are Absolutely. living their stories or living, you know, the life that they had once lived. So the Alec Davis Foundation, the goal is to help people reclaim their life. We want to help people to help people. It's an amazing mission. And it's a mission that's so greatly needed. Yes. So I love the fact that you're turning your pain into purpose. So 
brave and so honorable of you that, you know, you're just going to continue to fight for others and to share your story. How, however, I can't imagine how hard it is for you to sit here today across from me and just be real. You know what? I love talking about my boy. <laughs> I do. I love him and I love that his life was lived and he lived it to the fullest. Right. He's just, you know, he's like a James Dean. It's a supernova, <laughs> you know, that was just so bright. And, <laughs> and yeah. he lived it any way he wanted to. Like, he did not conform. Mm-hmm. And that is something. So another, I don't want to call it iconic, but um, of him is he had the me tattoo. Uh-huh. And that was to remind him that the happiness is found within me mm-hmm. first before I can find it anywhere else. That has kind of become the logo of the Alec Davis Foundation, is the me tattoo that was on his arm. Several people have gotten the tattoo in his honor. Um, I can't get a tattoo because, well, it kind of scares me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I had T-shirts made. (laughs) Well, Um, I want one of those T-shirts. Yes, and I meant to bring you one today, and I totally was sitting right on my desk, and I didn't Uh, have it, so... So, one last question yes. for you. So, the word relevate means to uplift or to restore to good spirits. In closing, how do we kind of take the lesson of, of your amazing son? And what, what do you want listeners to walk away with from this conversation? Every addict is a little boy of a mother. And that's what Alec was a precious little boy. Oh, my gosh. He was my joy. He was my best friend for so many years. I mean, my little sidekick, we rode around with the top down all over town. He brought me joy, and he brought me heartache, but he brought me love, and he brought me to be a better person, to be more open-minded and be more generous and caring towards people that are not like me, that are way different than me, and that's what makes the world go around. But the fact that Every addict out there is loved by God. Mm-hmm. And they're loved by their mama. And they're loved by their daddy. Yeah. And you need to see them for the person they are, mm-hmm. not the actions that they're doing. Thank you, Amy, for being here in this sacred space. Uh, to celebrate the life of your amazing son. And um, looking forward to doing some good work together to just continue the fight because it's a battle we're in. Right? Yes. Right? Yes. So I'm in it with you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Take care. Yes. So I know these Relevate conversations can sometimes be heavy and difficult to listen to. I don't want you to miss the hope part of these stories. I love Amy's strength and spirit and her determination in the face of unimaginable personal loss to make Alex's life matter and keep his very free spirit alive. I can't wait to see his legacy continue to unfold and the lives impacted by the Alec Davis Foundation. I'm Rena Olson and this is Relevate.